Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And we're looking at verses 7 through uh, chapter 12, verse 1 is our main text today, although we'll be, look, we'll be skipping around throughout the book uh, as we go. Let me read this, pa- this passage to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 says this, The light is pleasant, and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be fertility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So, remove grief and anger from your heart, put away pain from your body, because childhood and prime of life are fleeting. A number of years ago, Christian singer Larry Norman took the famous poem by Robert Frost and paraphrased it this way. He said, Two roads diverged in the middle of my life, and I heard a wise man say, I took the road less traveled by, and that makes the difference every night and every day. I think uh, Solomon would sign off on that paraphrase. Uh, This book of Ecclesiastes has talked about such things, and there's no book in the scripture quite like it. It's absolutely unique as far as its relevancy to life. If you want to know how to live life, what life is about, and how to unravel uh, the mysteries that God has has put in the, the DNA of this world, you need to go to the book of Ecclesiastes to to understand that because all the formal study you might do and all the experiences you might have uh, will have will not compare at all to what you can learn from this ancient and wonderful book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon has been speaking from his heart. He's not an ivory tower theologian. Uh, he's not some philosopher. He has lived what he's talking about and he has experienced these things and he's writing to the inspiration of the spirit what God has given him. He's struggled with the meaning of life. He has uh, wanted to know what it is that, that makes life worth living. He wants to know the purpose of life. He wants to maintain a proper balance between various things. He, he wants to unravel the mysteries and the puzzles and the enigmas that he's encountered. And he wants to know how God fits into it all. As he followed uh, the different herds of humanity that, pers- that, that tried to lead him in different ways, uh, he, he got more and more confused. He heard one, one group of people saying that if you become wealthy, if you live for possessions, uh, then you will find purpose and happiness in life. He saw others that claimed that it's cultural achievements is what really matter. Others say, well, it's marriage and family. Others say, well, it's pleasures and living up uh, the party life. Others said education. Well, Solomon tried them all and even more. And every one of them came to a dead end for him. And he finally drew certain conclusions, and we find those conclusions in the book of Ecclesiastes. If we boil down everything he's saying to three threads that have been interwoven throughout this text of Scripture, throughout this book of the Bible, there are these three threads that he's aligning everything around. Number one, that, uh, that is this, that God has developed life, designed life to be enjoyed. Secondly, God has designed life to be meaningless if we're disconnected from Him, if we're untethered from Him, life has no purpose. And finally, life is meant to be lived for God. Life is meant to be lived for God. If you go down any one of those three treads without 
keeping the others together, the threads. If you do that, then you go off astray and lead to areas of, of destruction. You might say, well, how is it that if we develop our lives so that we live for God, how could that be wrong? Is it possible to be wrong? Well, I would say you can be really unbalanced there if you don't put the other two threads together. And here's, what, here, here's an example. George Whitfield is one of the best-known preachers and evangelists that uh, ever lived and especially in the English language. And he is a spearheaded, he spearheaded, humanly speaking, the Great Awakening in the 1700s in America and the Evangelical Revival in England. He and the Wesleys and so forth during that time and Jonathan Edwards. He's a man who was totally sold out for God. Everything about his life was about living for God. And yet, uh, he didn't live so well with his marriage. He married a woman he really didn't care for because it was best to marry somebody. Uh, he, uh, he wasn't with her very much. He left her alone most of the time. Uh, when, uh, when they had their first child, their only child, he wasn't there. Uh, he came, to, came for a couple days afterwards. When, uh, when the child died in infancy, uh, he wasn't there, and he only came to comfort her for a few days. We brought her to America with him on one trip and then left her uh, in New England while he went down to, the, to Bermuda and then he went from Bermuda to England and left her behind for a whole year and she didn't even know where he was for much of that time and finally she had to travel overseas by herself to meet him in England and he really wasn't there much for her either. Did this man love Jesus Christ with all of his heart? On his honeymoon he preached twice a day. He loved Jesus Christ but he didn't understand the other threads we're looking at in the how God has designed life. And so while he is honored by many, and he certainly served God's purposes, he missed some of the points of Ecclesiastes. I don't want to miss those, and I don't want you to miss them. And so we're going to look at these together today. We're going to only look at the first thread. Uh, we're going to look at the other two threads next week. But the thread we're going to look at today is the thread that God wants us to enjoy life. God meant for us to enjoy life. To some of you, that might seem strange. Uh, to some of you, you, you might have the idea that uh, God uh, is a killjoy. He, he doesn't want you to have much fun. If you, if you come to Christ, some of you that are here that may not be Christians, and one of the reasons you haven't turned to the Lord is if you, you think you come to Christ and all the fun ends at that point. Uh, the rest of life is just some drudgery of going to church and reading your Bible once in a while, and, and that's life. And that's how many people see that. Uh, some people see conservative Christians Conservative Christians as, as looking for somebody having a good time and telling them to knock it off. You know, that's the way many people see people like us. But that is not the way God has designed life whatsoever. And Ecclesiastes points that out very clearly. God has designed life for us to enjoy it when we enjoy it His way. Let's look at two thoughts that Solomon has for us in the text of Scripture we'll look at today. Number one, he, we are to enjoy the gifts that God sends to us. We are to enjoy the gifts that God sends to us. Verse 7 says, the light is pleasant. It's good for the eyes to see the sun. We'd like to see some sun sometimes in the winter here. Um, don't put in any solar panels on your house, I don't think, but you can do what you want to. Verse 8, indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. God has designed life so that we who are his people are meant to enjoy that life. That's a positive side. We'll look at the, the balance of that in a moment, but let's stay with this positive right here. God has given us certain gifts. God has designed to give us gifts in this life to enjoy. 
and to enjoy most immensely if we know him as, as our Lord and Savior and we are connected with him, we're tethered to him, we're living for him. He not only wants us to uh, enjoy life, he not only gives us the permission to enjoy life, he strongly, strongly encourages and urges us to enjoy life. A Christian who doesn't enjoy life is missing something in the unfolding of what God has for us here. So what exactly does he have for us? What exactly are the gifts? There's five that have been woven throughout the book. And let's take a look at those. Number one is simple pleasures. The verses I just read to you talk about simple pleasures. These are the kinds of things that everybody can enjoy. Seven different times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he comes back to this theme. He begins in chapter 2. He goes all the way to the end. He, he's, he's talking about this off and on, peppering throughout. Most people today, most people forever, thought thinks that the, the good times are in the thrills and the chills and the, and the honors and the, and the achievements. And Solomon says, those can be good times. But you know what? God has given us gifts that everybody can enjoy. The rich and the poor, the, the, the powerful and the oppressed that most people in this world at most times can enjoy if they choose to enjoy them. Do you appreciate these simple gifts? Do you appreciate a good meal? Do you appreciate a good night's sleep? And as you get older, you appreciate that more and more. If you get up and say, I slept through the whole night, you say, hallelujah. You know, that's, that's a biggie, you know. Uh, and you'll, some of you young people understand that later in life. Do you appreciate a good sunset? You like, we got, uh, Illinois doesn't have a lot of the beauties of other places, but if you look out that direction, I think that's west. And if you look, is that right? Okay. If you, <laughs> if you look out there at some days on, uh, when that sun is setting, I, I, you, you couldn't get a more beautiful sunset in all the world. You just take a, a few moments to look at some of the beauties that God has given us. Do you understand and enjoy some of the inexhaustible pleasures of nature that God has given us in this world to enjoy? Maybe you like those things and enjoyed those things as a young person. That's what I really like about children. They're just catching on to those things and they love them. But have you lost that enthusiasm as you've gotten older? A number of books, very famous books, award-winning books, have been written by people who have just gone out and studied nature and looked at the wonders that God has created. One such book tells the story of a, of a massive, unbelievable, classic battle. One of the greatest battles in all of history. Between, between two, I don't know what they call them, ant herds that came together and, and fought for hours. He watched the most classic battle of all times, he thought, and nobody saw it but him. But he took the time to enjoy the, what they probably weren't enjoying, but he enjoyed it. Verse, chapter 9, verse 9, if you flip over just one page, he talks about a simple pleasure of marriage. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil, which you have labored under the sun. Uh, Solomon, who didn't, didn't have a lot of experience with this, recommends through God's inspiration that we enjoy our marriages. The world tells us that, that fun stops, the enjoyment of life stops when you get married. You, you, you watch movies, you watch shows, you, you read the books, you get married and that's the end, right? But that's not what God says. God says I've created marriage as the most wonderful, meant to be, the most wonderful human relationship possible on this planet. God has given that to us. That is a reward 
that he's given us. And yet right now, 28% of all households are occupied by a single person, up from 13% in 1960. We're more and more living alone, and people are more lonely than ever before. And that's all right for some folks, but God says the first problem that humanity ever faced was loneliness. In the Garden of Eden, God says is not good that man should live alone. We need relationships. We're built for those. Secondly is work. Go to chapter 3, verse 13. Here's another gift, work. You say, oh boy. I don't know about that one. Verse 13. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor is a gift from God. Verse 22. I've seen nothing that is better than that a man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. Who, for who will bring him to see what will occur after him? Solomon says one of the greatest gifts he's given us is to have something to do. To, be, to work, whether it's paid or not paid, but to have something worth doing, something valuable to do, something worthwhile is one of God's greatest gifts. We dwell too often on the negative of our jobs. Uh, I hope you realize every job has its positives and its negatives, some more than others at times. We understand that. But many people uh, go to work and are working for the weekend. Can't wait to get away from work, go to, week, go to, go to the weekend. Can't, can't, are, are they working for vacation? Are they working for retirement? They're going to work 40 years to retire. And as somebody has said astutely, that most people who are living for retirement are usually the ones who don't know what to do with themselves on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, that's a thought. Find something worthwhile in life. God has given us many of those, whether you're paid or not. Winston Churchill uh, said, uh, he, he had this theory that if you only did one thing, thought about one thing all the time, you'd wear a hole in your brain. Kind of like wearing a hole in your elbows. You know how those English people do? They wear the same sweater and jacket until there's a hole in the elbow, you know? And we think they're sophisticated. But that's what, that's what Churchill said, that's what you would do to your brain if you always think of the same things. But you can't turn your brain off, he said. You've got to find something worthwhile to do to occupy your thinking. So he took up painting. He was not a great painter, but he enjoyed that, that activity. He found that uh, joyful, and he even wrote a book on it. I think his point is well made. God has given us so many good things to do. Don't, don't hunker down and say, I've got nothing to do. There's nothing enjoyable about my work or my life. Find good activities. Of course, God has get, blessed us with those kinds of gifts. Thirdly, there's people, and we go back to chapter 4, verse 9. People are relationships. Remember these words? Two are better than one because they have a good return for the labor. For even if, if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. How we need relationships. God has created us to be related, to have relationships. The family the church, friendships. These are great gifts that God has given us to enjoy in life. We need to take those opportunities to enjoy them. I just ran into something I'd never read or heard about before in my whole life, just recently. And then I ran into it again this week. And it is a study that began in 1937. It's called the Grant Study, and also known as the Harvard Study of Adult Development. In 1937, they began this study of, of over 700 college-age age people and have followed their life till the end of their lives. 
And as, some, as they passed away, they picked up others and studied them. That's, this study is still going on. For 90 years, they've been studying what makes life worth living in these people. This has been a scientific study that has been done by multitudes of people for a very, very long time. And so that fascinates me. And, uh, and I've actually ordered the book. comes tomorrow. I can hardly wait to read the book. I enjoy these kinds of, of things. But you know, the bottom line is this. Here's, here's what the grant study determined. Number one is the only thing, and this is their summary, the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships with other people. It took them 90 years, <laughs> millions of dollars, thousands of people to discover what Solomon told us right here. You don't have to have a long study to know what God says. He's way ahead of the curve. Thousands of years before that study, they found that we're only, we're only, they're only verifying what God has already told us. We need people. God has given us relationships as a special gift. Enjoy them. Love them. People in the world often use people and love things. The child of God has the privilege of loving people. And then it is possessions. Chapter 5 and verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth... He has also empowered them to eat from them and to receive their, this reward, his reward, and rejoice and enrich our lives when used properly. And he shows what is properly in verse 20, when our occupation is not on what we own, but on God himself. Notice those words. God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. And that could be translated, God keeps him occupied with God. When we're occupied with God, all these possessions that God allows us to have as gifts are, used, are kept in their proper mode and they are special gifts that God has given us to enjoy. But they will never give lasting happiness. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. In chapter 2, one of the most well-known portions of the whole book, he talks about all the things he's done with his life, all the achievements, all the efforts, all the things he went out to do. And then he comes to verse 11 with his summary. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands have done and the labor which I have exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there is no profit under the sun. Things never satisfy. The Grant study once more, the Harvard study, came up with this conclusion, a secondary conclusion. And here it is. It's earth-shaking. Nobody would ever figure this out. Here it is. The study said this, money never buys happiness. Wow. That's deep. Right? <laughs> That's what Harvard scholars have taught us. Money never buys happiness. Again, Solomon told us that all those years ago. Look at chapter 5 and verse 9. Verse 10, 5, 10. He says this. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money. Uh, he who loves abundance uh, with his, its income, this too is vanity. Look at chapter 6, verse 9. 6 verse 9, he says this, what the eye sees is better than what the soul desires. Okay, what we have, appreciate what you have. If you, the money will never buy happiness. Goodness gracious, how profound is that? And yet, every, nobody believes what I just said. Why is it that the whole world is money crazy? Everything in our life is wrapped around what we own and our money and our stuff. And yet scripture is clear that's never going to happen. And science has now found out what God already knew. 
and already told you. So you don't have to be a scholar, you have to be a Christian to read the Bible. What a change that is. Of course, everything in our world does the opposite. Everything in our world tells us we need more stuff. All the advertisers, that's all they do. And they do it by deception. They lie to us. We all know that. They lie to us. They tell us all sorts of things. If you buy their products, you'll find love and acceptance and, and friendships and everything you're seeking for in life, all the intimacy. If you wear the right deodorant, they promise you will have acceptance and friendship. And on some level, for some people, that's not the worst thing that could happen. Okay? And, and, the, and the, newest, the newest toothpaste or shampoo, well, that's going to bring you friendships galore. Girlfriends, if you need one, boyfriends, if you need one, all you got to do is use this shampoo. And again, not a bad idea sometimes, but not what he, that's not going to do the job. If you have the right house, the right bank account, or the right credit card, boy, life is your limit, right? That's all we ever hear. What a bunch of baloney. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books, a book called Strengthening Your Grip, said uh, he was talking to someone about this issue, and the, and the person said, well, every time you go, when you're watching TV and you see an, announce, an advertisement come on, and you know they're lying to you, then just stand up and shout, who are you kidding? Okay, so he tried it. He went home, they were watching a football game, his whole family watching a football game. And every time one of the advertisements came on, they all jumped up and screamed at the highest, at the top of their voice, who are you kidding? He said it was lots of fun, and they weren't tempted to buy anything. The only problem is it gave their dog a heart attack. Yeah. Now you try that at Super Bowl this year if you're watching. Jump up, everybody in the room, say, who are you kidding? Bunch of baloney. Chapter 2, verse 25. 2.25 says this. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Verse 26. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom, and knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the task of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. This to his vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon is not saying, here's how you can manipulate God. If you're good, he'll give you all your stuff that you want. He's not saying that. He's saying, look, live to please God. Live for him. Make him the center of your life. And then everything else that he gives you is something to enjoy. And enjoy it. Don't, don't say, oh, I can't enjoy something good. Something, I, I'm, a, I'm a humble Christian. I just can't enjoy these kind of things. You can if God gives them to you. And if God wants you to have them. That leads us to a final gift. And that's the gift of God himself. Chapter 5 here, verse 20 says this. For he would not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. And then chapter 12, verse 1 in our text this morning. He says, remember also the Creator in the days of your youth. The greatest of all gifts that God gives us, interwoven throughout the book, is that of God himself. God can be your Lord and Savior. If you recognize your sin, if you recognize that you cannot ever possibly get a righteousness of your own and be right before a holy God and you recognize your sinfulness you repent of that sin and turn to the Lord by faith alone accepting the wonderful gift of the greatest the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ that he gives us for salvation then God is yours and you are his and you can spend your light delighting in him but let me speak to Christians here are you still delighting in God 
Scripture often talks about delighting in the Lord Himself. Could you sing with that old hymn, that old chorus, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. Uh, if you can't, then you're missing out on the greatest joy of life. You're missing out on the one thing that will never, ever disappoint you. All these other gifts will disappoint you. You will disappoint you. Everything will disappoint you, but God will never disappoint you, ever. The young pastor was um, needing a suit to preach a funeral. Never preached a funeral before, needed a suit. Didn't have money. Went down to the local pawn shop, and they had a very nice, beautiful suit to wear. And so he, he bought it for almost nothing. He said, how can you sell these suits so cheap? He said, well, I'll tell you the truth. We get these from the local mortuary. Okay? Uh, these are suits worn by, that they buy to wear, to give to people to, in their caskets. And then after, just before they bury them, they take them off. And then they sell them to us, and we sell them to other people. Uh, give them to us, and we sell them to other people. And he said, well, that's a little creepy. Uh, but I guess I can live with it. It's a great suit. So he went to go preach, and as he was preaching, like some guys like myself do, started to put his hand in his pocket and found that the pockets were all sold up. And suddenly he had a, an epiphany. Dead people don't need pockets. Wow. They're preaching along. It, it, you don't take anything with you in your pockets. That's it. That's, pretty, that's pretty, pretty solid stuff right there, isn't it? Psalm is making this case. Look. You're not going to take any of these other things out with you. You're going to go to be with God and enjoy the eternal gifts that he has for you there. All the glories, all the relationships, all the joys he has designed. But it begins with knowing him now. And the great privilege we have, folks, is to enjoy him right now. Do you enjoy the Lord who saved you from your sin? Do you really enjoy him? He wants you to do so. Well, let's, let's move on to the second thought, and that is enjoying life while you're young, in your youth. In the final chapter, so, so some of you that don't feel you're young anymore, uh, you're, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to tune out on this, I'm old. Uh, well, sermon next week is for you, you old people, you know, everybody over 35. But, but the, for the young... And maybe we can also learn something from the young here. He, he points his, his, his guns at them for right now. And he's going to talk about life as young people. So young people especially listen up. As we look at verses 9 on down. He says, Rejoice, young man, during the, your childhood. And let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. He's encouraging young people to enjoy life. Isn't that amazing thing? You know, teenagers get, uh, get bad reputations sometimes, and rightly so sometimes. Uh, but what a, what a time to enjoy life when you're living it God's way. Uh, we went on a little trip just a couple of weeks ago with all six of our grandkids. And uh, we went to a little variety store. Some of you have been with us to this place over in Indiana. It's the old five and dime type store, just cram filled with everything you can imagine that's out there. So while we were there, we, we often stopped there to get stuff. And Marsha and I were off in the corner... Uh, looking at some cards we wanted to buy to send to some of you, some real mean-spirited cards. You'll, some, some of you will get them later. But as we're looking at these cards, we heard this jingling going on, this noise. And, and we kind of looked at each other, what is going on? And that, then we realized the grandkids were over by the um, wind chimes. Okay, they had, hanging from the ceiling were dozens upon dozens of wind chimes. 
And of course, being teenagers, they couldn't resist. They, they're obviously there for us to jingle every one of them. So they walks right through the, the, to the building, jingling all the wind chimes. And even the little one was over there with some short wind chimes, dingling away. And we thought it was cute. You know, we know our grandkids are the most wonderful grandkids in the world. They're special and they're sweet. They would do no harm to anything except for maybe me. But, but most things out are doing good. We, we had no concern whatsoever, but the store owner did not agree. She came storming out of the back like she was going for the, for the death grip. She, her eyes were beaming. There's fire shooting out. And she saw who it was. These, these teenagers going through, clamoring all these things. And she said, Teenagers! You know. And then for the as long as we were in there, she followed them, watched their every move. Well, I could see why she might do that because probably some people have messed up her stuff. Our kids would never think about doing something like that, but some kids would. So teenagers get a bad eye, and but you know, how many adults in here would do that? I know a couple, one over here, one one back there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I could name names, but I wouldn't say Jim or Jack to save my life. <laughs> but, but most people would be adult about it, right? They might do a little jingle here, but they wouldn't do the whole thing. Well, that's because we're adults and we're sophisticated. But kids just enjoy, and they do some really silly things. And it isn't always the best, but they enjoy life if they live it right. And that's what Solomon is saying. Why don't you live it with full happiness? with full pleasure. Enjoy these things. What kind of gifts should they enjoy? The things we've just been talking about. You know, the simple pleasures, work, people, possessions, God. And this is not carte blanche to do whatever you want to. So look at the rest of the verse, verse 9. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. And he's not saying go ahead and do the nuttiest things you can do and then pay for it later. That would be ridiculous advice, wouldn't it? He is saying, keep in mind that whatever you do, you will stand before God. There should be guardrails. There should be limits. Enjoy. Enjoy life. But don't harm yourself and others in the process. One of the great things you do, can do as parents kid, is give your children a great and happy childhood. It's one of the great gifts that can give, you can give them beside Christ. This doesn't mean we don't teach our children to have responsibilities. And, uh, and, and so forth. We don't just give them carefree life. There's lots of things we need to teach them. And they need to learn discipline and responsibilities. But youth is a special time of joy. It's a special time of play. It's a special time to build memories. Enjoy those young people. If you're a young person here, enjoy those years. You'll never get them back. That's what Solomon is saying here. They're fleeting. They're going quickly. Enjoy those years. Make the most of them. There, there will come a day when there will be no more opportunity for school spirit, for organized sports, for winter retreats, for all-nighters, and I say amen to that one, to, to carefree goofing around with a bunch of friends, with the security of, a loving parents, of loving parents, the day will come when those will be gone. Enjoy them while you have them. Don't take them for granted. Secondly, he says, put aside the things that hinder enjoyment of life, verse 10. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. As he begins to talk about that, he says there's some things you need to get rid of. There's some things that you should not allow in your life. Two things in particular. Number one, grief and anger. 
I'm just going to couple those together. Grief and anger. Anger brings grief. Grief and anger. Some teenagers go through life with a permanent scowl on their face. Uh, they, they are permanently angry at life. They're angry at school. They're angry at their parents. They're angry at church. They're angry at everybody and everything they think are in their way. They dare you to make them smile. Solomon says, remove this attitude. I, I'm just speaking straight out to you young people here that might have this tendency. Remove this attitude from your heart, and that's a choice. That's not something you have to grow into. That's a choice. Remove that attitude from your heart. You can live angry at life, and you can have grief, and you can have resentment at your parents, you can have resentment at circumstances, and resentment at obligations, and resentment at school, and resentment at, your, at all the things around you, and then miss out on, and I'm, I'm not talking just the kids right now, everybody, and miss out on the incredible gifts of enjoyment God has for you. You are making a choice. Is life full of junk? It is. Does life have problems? It does. Are you going to let those things defeat you? And, and are you going to be defined by the struggles of life? Are you going to be defined by your walk with Jesus Christ? That is a choice that you can make. We, I, um, I have someone, someone in my graduating class in high school, they're probably in a nursing home now, but uh, they, uh, they have put a, on Facebook, they have put on a, 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 a thread there that we can watch, look at it. And I, I saw it the other day, I showed it to Marsha. Everything they've posted forever has been about the good old days. You know, what, when we were growing up, you know, how wonderful it was then. And as I said before, the good old days are not as good as we remembered. And the good old days are best defined by a bad old memory because there were hard times. But there are also some really good times. And as they post these things, I think about my own childhood, my growing up, and I was walking with the Lord as a teenager, and that made all the difference. And as I look back on those days, what joy, what wonders, what precious memories are mine from those days. I, I, I thank the Lord for those. You need to have that young person. You need to be able to look back 10, 20, 30, 40 years later and say, those were precious times. I enjoyed them. I didn't allow the circumstances of life to make me angry and griefful and bitter. Then he talks about the second thing here to get rid of, and that's bodily pain or abuse. He says in this same verse, verse 9, he says, uh, I know at verse 10, he says, and put, a, put away pain from your body. It's been said that we sin on credit, not cash. You remember you know, credit cards? You went out there at Christmas and bought all this wonderful stuff for your family that they can't find now. And then you got the bill later, a month later. And you said, did I spend that much? That's why sin works. It doesn't look like we're doing much right now. But later on, we look down the line. We see how it's accumulated. That's how sin works. Much like that. The bill comes due someday. In the freshness and in the strength and the inexperience of youth is possible to do all sorts of things that harm our bodies, that harm, our, harm, harm us even for the future. Teen, teenagers, young people think they're bulletproof. They're invincible, and they're not. And I've said this, I mentioned this thing before, but I, I pass every day of my life, just about, I pass a little thing on the way to work, the way to the church, a little bend in the road, where a young person, just a teenager, one day, one night, late at night, drove his motorcycle right off into the woods, missed the turn, 
Perhaps he was drinking, I don't know, just a young man, and died there. And ever since that time, his family and friends have made that into a shrine. There's a little tunnel that he drove down through. There's out, out, they changed the decorations for the seasons. They grieve over this young man who thought he was bulletproof. We're not. And many of the things we do to our bodies uh, now uh, we'll, we'll pay for in the future. Doctors will tell you if we, uh, if we took care of ourselves better, a lot of our illnesses would go away. If we could eliminate alcohol, tobacco, overeating, and, and every once in a while move, a little exercise, uh, most of our, many of our ailments would probably go away. We, we harm ourselves in youth and we pay for it later many times. Don't do that, he says. And then the last thing, live for God. Enjoy life, remove the hindrances, and live for God. Verse 1, chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Live for Him now, he says. Don't wait till you're older. Live for Him now. A lady sent a, a, a box of roses to a friend. She's an older lady. She sent a box of roses to her younger friend. The lady, young gal opened it up and the roses were all dead. They're all wilted. And she said to her older friend later, I, I, I thank you for the roses, but they're dead. And she said, I know, I sent them to you that way. She said, what are you, what are you doing? Well, I overheard you talking to a friend saying, while you're young, you're going to live, live it up and live for yourself. When you get old and can't do anything else, you'll live for God. And I thought of my roses here. I've been enjoying them all week. But now that they're faded and no good, I'm going to send them to you because that's what you want to do with God. Wait until you're old and can do nothing else. You give them the leftovers. Really? That's not what God says. Remember your, your creator in the days of your, of your youth. Ecclesiastes has shown us four things. Let me close with this. Let me, get, let me sum up real quickly. Ecclesiastes has, has shown us four things. It shows us how messed up and corrupt this world is. It shows us how messed up and confused we are. It shows us how desperately we need, therefore, the wisdom of God in a messed up world. And it tells us how desperately we need God himself as our Lord and our Savior. What a book. I hope you've enjoyed it. Old people come back next week. <laughs> Father, we stop to, to pause before you and thank you for this chapter, this, these, these lessons in, in Ecclesiastes on the enjoyment of life. Wow. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to enjoy the good gifts you've given us. And the greatest of all is you yourself and your wonderful son who died for us. Lord, there has to be many people, maybe in this room, maybe on live stream, who do not know you as Lord and Savior, who have heard these words today. Soften their hearts, Lord. Make them tender to you. Draw them to yourself. And may all of us learn from the wisdom of Scripture. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.